In the spring, a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love. Somebody's remembered it. It took me a while. I couldn't remember how that, that Alfred Tennyson's quote, very familiar to everybody. I think in the spring, um, a young man, not only a young man, but God's fancy turns towards love, love of all mankind, love of his creation, love of who he brought to save us all. I think also of uh, the wheat and planting a garden and how that's so difficult this year, isn't it? I mean, anybody trying to draw a garden this year, you're working out there in muck. I'm ready to, you know, grab a bunch of rice and go and start a patty, I think, out in my garden. It's crazy. But that's what, uh, that's what kind of our, our thing is about today. It's about this seed that, that grows, and it's more than just a seed. I thought this was just going to be a nice little biological lesson, you know, and I looked up wheat, and there was a wheat that was... There's all kinds of parts to a wheat. It's much more complicated than I thought. There's a coleoptile, and then there's these tillers that come out, and, you know, eventually the, you know, the hull's there, and, and you get much more grain out than the one you planted. So that's a key factor of what we're talking about. But it's a lot more than just planting and planting a garden. So in the time of the scripture was, uh, our timeline here is about two days after Jesus' last uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem, uh, some Greeks, according to the scripture, saw, you know, they were there to, for the festivities and everything, and, and they wanted to come to Jesus, and they thought, being very respectful, how is this going to happen? Well, they kind of knew this Philip guy who kind of had a Greek name, and he thought, well, let's, let's go talk to him. So they went to talk to Philip. Philip went and got Andrew. Andrew then, being a little bit higher up on the uh, closeness to Jesus level, and uh, he got him in to see Jesus. Now, this is the unusual part to me. With all the extra people in Jerusalem at that Passover time, a few Greeks, the festival seekers, you know, would have seemed to be no big deal. It's like, you know, going to a rock concert today. You know, the big crowd, there's all this stuff going on, and he was the man to see. So, but he comes to Jesus, and uh, through, through this agency of, of uh, Philip and, and Andrew, and, and what does Jesus respond you know, if, if it were me, I would say, oh, these enlightened Greeks, these people are always talking about the next cool thing. Man, that's what I want to talk about too. So yeah, they can come and hear from me, spirituality, miracles, you know, all that stuff. But he responded this way, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Huh? What? At first this sounds kind of more self-centered than the, my fecious response. It is like a, a rock star. But this is the perfect Son of God who, though human, is incapable of the sin of pride because he's God incarnate in the flesh. He's the one who always listens to his heavenly Father. And the first words out of his mouth are, the hour has come. There's a good reason for that. If you look to Isaiah 42, um, he says there, and this is going to be a little more expanded than what might be up on the board too, but I love the Lord... I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free the captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those that sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. 
He continues a little later in 5 and 7. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb is to be servant to Jacob, back to him. Jacob, back to him, gather, his, gather Israel to himself, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, is it, too, it is too small a thing to be my servant to restore the tribes of, Gabe, of Jacob only and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. I will... A little bit later, it says, See, I will beckon to the Gentiles. I will lift up my banner to the peoples. They will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their shoulders. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. When these verses are reviewed, Jesus' response towards the Greeks seeking his audience seems not so strange at all. The Greeks, Greeks' present is the trigger. It's that plunger that those guys up on the, that those, you know, ski patrol guys and stuff that are on the, the, the mountain have to do sometimes in order to release that immense pile up of snow and avoid an avalanche. But the snow still tumbles down. So it's like, well, that, that triggered it. He knew everything. He knew the scripture inside and out. He knew his heavenly father. And he knew that all of a sudden this avalanche of religious religiosity and confusion about who he was and what was going on, it was all come, it was the trigger, it triggered it and it was all coming down on him. And Jesus without hesitation responds, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The use of the word dies is a deliberate overstatement of what's really happening. Dying defines non-productivity through our normal understanding. The old King James Version of the Bible uses the phrase, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. A truly dead or infertile seed will not germinate, but a miraculously transformed one germinates. The phrase Jesus uses here depicts his own miraculous falling into the grave, the tomb, as the seed falls to the earth, and three days later he rises again. His own miraculous falling into the grave is, is well known. I mean, everybody, but at this point, nobody knows. It's, it's, all, it's all strange to everybody. He wouldn't, he's the only one that even knows it's happened. So, it produces bread for all the world, though the seed that is literally fallen into the ground. In the same way, Jesus, as he falls into the tomb and comes up, produces the bread for all the world, the seed that grows it. The, first is a, the, the other thing is that there's different things that Jesus uses. There's these prophetic fa- uh, statements which indicate his um, messiahship and that he's come to save all mankind. And then there's the, the, the normal kind of... Uh, admonishment or the instruction, such as when the, the men tried to quick, uh, quick, quick trick Jesus and, and set him up for, uh, you know, so for ridicule and brought the woman, it was probably a set-up deal, to him as, a, as an adulterer, adulteress. And remember how he responded, who, you know, those of you monks you can, uh, that have not sinned throw the first stone, and then, he, and then he says, you go and sin no more as well. 
Well, those are, those are personal admonitions. Those are instructional things. And this is more, a little less of the instructional things for us personally, although we each can uh, understand that our dying to ourselves is key uh, to this. But this is prophetic. So this is both, really. It's prophetic and it's instructional at the same time. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Jesus says that. I go, whoa, back the truck up. Would he give me this life, this life that he's given me, and I'm supposed to love it and lose it? But if I hate it, I get to keep it? (laughs) Winning is losing, and losing is winning? What's all this mean? Well, picture a grasping, comparative, jealous, never-satiated lifestyle. You are never happy with what you have. You always desire more the next big thing. You can't possibly be happy until you have that newest iPhone in your pocket or purse. Some of the best examples of this would be atheists who believe God cannot exist. They are, in reality, narcissistic pleasure seekers that view God as the greatest killjoy in existence. But the greatest joy seems to be doing battle with God, who doesn't exist. That's crazy, isn't it? Some people, the agnostics, don't just care if God exists. If there is no God, then he cannot be known by God, nor can they possibly know God. It simply makes life easier to be accountable to no one. These are the obvious people who we can understand that God will not reward someone like that with the eternal pleasure of dwelling with him in his glorious heaven. And if he did, it would be more of a punishment to that person than letting him have his own way or than punishing him maybe in someplace else. But God does not force himself on anyone. There are people that have an insatiable appetite for a luxurious living that grabs on and holds on to something so strongly that they can't do anything about it. Like the monkey traps. You ever heard of them? You know, the monkey that grows after the fruit, and he reaches his hand in there, he's like that fruit, and he got that fruit, and he's hanging out of the fruit so tight that he won't let go. And he gets trapped, and his life is never the same again. He gets no place. He loses his freedom. He finds himself in a little cage someplace in hmm, Chicago, New York. That's a little bit what he's talking about here. It's that inability to let go. The jar represents the life that we've been given, but that orange inside represents that that we love more than that life that God gave us, which he gave us for a great purpose and that was to know him better. What about those of us in the sanctuary this morning? Do we believe that God exists? We believe he loves us, even though he sent his only begotten son to earth to die for us, that we can be with him for all eternity? But do we hate our lives? I don't. Do you? All of us are hate our lives are, are, are doomed on this life. We have to look at the light for a heavenly perspective, and we cannot do it justice because we have no proper perspective, because we've never been in heaven. Only 
one has that actually was human. Before I formed you in your mothers, where do you really come from, though? And Isaiah, Jeremiah says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. If God knew Jeremiah before he was born, God knows you the same way. Also, are you made in the image of God? You are made in the image of God. Yes. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So now is the time. Now is the hour. Set it in your heart to start thinking of yourself as a child of God in the family of Jesus, inheritor of your place in heaven. Have any of you ever used the book, the little daily devotional, My Utmost for His Highest? One of my favorite ones is in June 13th. Oswald Chambers says in this, Getting There, where our individual desires die and our sacrificed, surrendered lives on our sanctified, surrendered lives, one of the greatest hindrances in coming to Jesus is the excuse of our own temperament. We make our temperament and our natural desire barriers coming to Jesus. Yet the first thing we realize when we do come to Jesus is that he pays no attention whatsoever to our natural desires. We have the idea that we can dedicate our gifts to God. However, you cannot dedicate what is not yours. God, after all, made everything that there is in existence. So it is already his. There is actually only one thing you can dedicate to God, and that is your right to yourself. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be trans- do not transform, do not be like, oh, I'm going to forget that part. Do not be, tra- be transformed do not in, in the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, pleasing, and perfect will. That's what he's talking about, being that kind of person. Let me read you, tell you of a boy named Carlos Acutis. Carlos Acutis was born in London in 1991 and grew up in Milan, Italy, From an early age, he possessed a deep and abiding faith as a Catholic and attended daily Mass. Carlo was a normal boy with many friends, and he was a typical boy, being very interested in computers. Carlo was was gifted at anything related to computers, so that his friends and the adults with computer engineering degrees, no less, considered him a genius. Everyone was amazed by his ability to understand the computer secrets and mysteries that are normally accessible to only those who have completed university. Carlo's interests included computer programming, film editing, and layout of comics, and volunteering for those most in need, children and the elderly. When he was 11 years old, Carlo began cataloging what Roman Catholics called Eucharistic miracles. Two and a half years later, his project was completed, including an online museum relating 136 stories of such miracles. While this is an expression of particularly Catholic piety, there is something Carlos said that contains a universal truth about our lives that young people need to know. While working on the project, he wrote, the more Eucharist we receive, the more we will become like Jesus. To critics of Christianity, becoming more like Jesus, more like Christ, is the goal of every Christian. Often suggests the loss of one's identity, individual identity. 
Carlo used this striking image, all people are born as originals, he said, but many die as photocopies. To die as an original requires, paradoxically, our imitation of Christ. We become more and more our true selves as intended by God when we willingly take our cue from the divine character we see revealed in Jesus. Carlo reflected spiritual light in his own original way, his mother said about him. His immense generosity made him interested in everybody. The foreigners, the handicapped children, beggars. To be close to Carlo was to be close to a fountain of fresh water. He understood the true value of life as a gift from God and as an effort, an answer to give the Lord Jesus by day by day in simplicity. Carlo also said our aim is to be the infinite and not the finite. The infinite is our homeland. We have always been expected in heaven. Carlo died of leukemia in 2006 at just 15 years old, but he lived what we call the good life. I've heard the Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias say something similar in this way. You are a body that has a soul. You, you, you are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body. John 12, 26, Jesus continues, just after he had said, whoever loves his life will lose it, and whoever hates his life will keep it. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Carlo did not hate his life, even though it was cut short by leukemia. And he did not expect to avoid any agony at the end of his earthly life. But he did submit to the Heavenly Father and learned what it meant to glorify his name. Today's scriptures continue. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said it had thunder. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice was for your own benefit, not not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, but I am lifted up from earth and I will draw all men unto myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd, began an uns- the crowd uh, being an unschooled bunch, responded, We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever, so how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? They probably couldn't read and did not have a Bible or a very expensive scroll in those days to read it. But in Psalms 110.4, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus does not deny that he is a priest forever. But he, oops, does not die as a priest forever, but he also explains who the Son of Man is. He identifies himself as a prophet like Ezekiel who always referred to himself as Son of Man. Ezekiel 2.3, God said to Ezekiel, Son of Man, I am sending you to the Israelites, a rebellious nation. No different than what we are today, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. So Jesus is both prophet and priest. He instructs and predicts God's actions as a prophet and as a priest can offer the sacrifice for all the people, which is himself, as obedient, sinless son that knows also that God created and owns everything, as I said earlier, except perfect in every way. 
being human, Jesus can only offer up himself to his Father as a sin offering for all of us, for all people, for all time. In the explanation to his critics, Jesus said in John 12, 36, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not where he's going. Put your trust in the light while you have it so that you may be sons of light. Now is the time. This is the hour. You have a Bible. I know you do. Read it and be blessed. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they would still not believe him. As Isaiah prophesied in 6.10, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith or fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise from men more than praise from God. Now is the time. This is the hour. Shut your ears and close your eyes to the praise of men and their railings against Jesus. Join in with the Apostle Paul, confessing, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the, everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Then Jesus cries out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me. He does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. You see, Jesus came to shine the light on his heavenly Father, not on himself. That's human. That's, that's a human failure. That's what we tend to do. Now is the time. This is the hour. If you see God in a new light instead of a celestial killjoy, and now see him as a forgiving Father, give him the honor and praise due him. John twelve forty seven through 50, Jesus says, as, you, as for the person who hears my word but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word for which I spoke will condemn him on that day, for I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his commands leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is what the Father told me to say. What did Jesus say? Many things, like the analogy of the wheat dying. I am the bread of life, he said in 635 through 4, who comes to me and will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will, be, will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven, do not, not to do my will, but to the will of him who sent me. And this is the will who sent me, of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John twelve forty five through 51, it is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has ever seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Father, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. 
Your fathers ate manna in the desert, manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that came down from heaven, his body, which a man may eat and not die. I am living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He offered himself up to God for us. So we started out with the kernel of wheat representing Christ's body that falls to the earth and dies. After death, the wheat plant lives anew, producing a crop that is made into the living bread, feeding the whole world, which is his body, broken for you and me. It is the shedding of his blood that legitimizes his body, the bread, as a life-giving payment for sin, which Israel's sin, and through Christ, saved us all. Now is the time to thank Jesus for his sacrifice for us that was ordained by our Heavenly Father, sealed by the Holy Spirit at the request of Jesus, the Son, and gifted to us by the Father. I just think if God hadn't set that whole plan up, the planting of souls, the souls that he created, there would be no harvest. If God hadn't made Jesus to make things right, He lives in a perfect, perfect heaven where there is no sin, there is no corruption, there is no evil. It's not permitted. God would not be able to harvest a soul into his heaven if it wasn't for that forgiving life that Jesus gave up for us all. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I know that it's Some may think it's like preaching to the choir, but Lord, it's good news to hear again, to remember that you are the one. You are the only one that matters in this earthly life and that can prevent us when we faithfully follow you to not cling on to that which we cannot possibly keep, not without being trapped, not without being... uh, stolen from you. We thank you that you have given us your word and that you have given us a body of believers to come and worship you in truth and in light. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I hope that wasn't on the whole time. Now receive the blessing. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Go in peace.